Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Dawn Phoenix. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, a hypnotherapist, and animal communicator. Welcome, Dawn. How are you today? Hi, Brad. I am lovely. Thank you. How are you? I am awesome, and I am so excited to have you here and to dive in to all of the beautiful light that you are putting out into the world through the work you do, the animal communicating thing, especially. I am so excited to talk about that and dive in and share your journey and the work you are doing with animals. So with that being said, let's jump right in. You are also an energy medicine practitioner and a four-time international best-selling author. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Now, that is a hell of a lot of hats you wear and one hell of an extensive resume. And it would seem that a lot of these hats are very closely tied in with one another, tied in together. So I'm curious, how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization for you? prioritization and organization are everything. So (laughs) I'm a Pisces. We suck. (laughs) The whole earth thing. So I really have to focus on my organizational tools and the things that I can use to help myself stay on top of everything. (laughs) Yeah. So focus is definitely one of my best tools because I can be, oh, I want to do this. Oh, I want to do that. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do all of it. And one of the most important things that I have learned this year is, yes, you can do all of it, but not right in this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Very important to remember that. Yeah. So I have to prioritize the most urgent, important thing at that time. (laughs) I love it. Now, Dawn, wearing multiple hats and being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, I'd love to know what your morning routine looks like. It's pretty simple. I need a slow start to my day. I have to ease into it. So I'm not one of these people who jumps out of bed and gets to work. So I wake up and then I'll either exercise, maybe do yoga, Um, nothing crazy. I I can't do hard, strenuous stuff. (laughs) Meditate and then I'll shower and have breakfast. And if it's not like a meeting I'm having at that time, I usually just jump into whatever I'm working on, creating whatever, building whatever, writing my newsletter. That's pretty much it. If I don't have a whole lot planned for the day, if my boyfriend happens to be up at the time I am, we'll have breakfast together Mm -hmm. and that'll be cool to hang out. And then I'll jump into work. He works nights. So his days Uh, are and mine. Yeah. Okay. What were you doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship and what inspired that leap into becoming an entrepreneur? So 
I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years before I became an entrepreneur. And prior to that, I was a teacher, an elementary oh. school teacher. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how long did you teach for? I only taught for one year. Oh, okay. And I suffered from burnout that actually had me bridging the brink of depression and suicide. I get hit by a Mack truck on the way into work because being in the hospital or anything was better than where I was. Holy shit. Um, was not- that just from workload and not prioritizing yourself and all of the things? Yeah, it was. Our administration was horrible. They ended up building a case against the principal that year with those of us teaching, and they fired her at the end of the year. But that was hell for me. I was a first-year teacher, and I'm not kidding you. I was working 80 hours a week. Holy shit. I would go to fall asleep after dinner on the couch. My husband would literally carry me to bed, and I would be in bed, and I'd be up at 4.30 in the morning and out the door at 6, and the kids would come in for breakfast. It was a Title I school, so... 85% of the kids were at or below the poverty line. So they were in the room for breakfast. So I had them there at breakfast and all day. Wow. That's a lot of stress. I cannot even tell you. So I cannot even thank my son enough. I found out January of that year I was pregnant with him. Mm -hmm. It saved my life because I had something something to live for because my husband and I decided that I would be the stay-at-home mom. He was military. So obviously he couldn't be the one to stay home. And he had a, his mother stay home with him, and we thought it would be great for the first couple of years. And me knowing about the whole parents as the first teachers concept and having a clue about how to handle a young child education yeah. was the good match for that. I knew if I could just make it until the end of the school year, I didn't have to worry about that again. I'm <laughs> never going back. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. And, you know, it's actually an issue right now around here, even in Ohio. They're going to a four-day school year. Holy school shit. Week in um, one of the towns here because of teacher burnout. Wow. It's that prevalent. They're trying to keep their population, their dwindling teacher population where it is because nobody's getting into the profession. Everybody's leaving it. So yeah, burnout was definitely what did it for me. And so I enjoyed the quote, luxurious life, <laughs> the stay-at-home mom, which I I have called the domestic goddess. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love it. Because we do it all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then after I had a little thing called the spiritual awakening, which mm. Bonfer will talk about. Yes. That's when I became an entrepreneur. Right after that. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Dawn? My need to be of service. If I'm not doing something that's of service to people, I'm not happy unless it's a time that I allow myself some rest, which occasionally I do. So whether it's people or the more than humans on the planet, whoever it is, I need to be of service. I love it. Now, this, of course, is a big part of why I wanted to have you on the podcast as a guest, which is to speak about the work you do as an animal communicator. And I had heard of people who can communicate with animals before, but never actually met someone who does it. So when you and I were introduced and connected at the beginning of this year through mutual friends as a result of one of my dogs, I was blown away. And so first off, I have to ask What inspired your journey into or led you down this path of doing this work? And how did it all happen? Okay. I always say, for me, it's not a what, it's a who. And there's actually (laughs) 
there's two who's and they're both dogs. Go figure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the path of an animal communicator. So the first was our dog, Sweetie. And we got her, my husband at the time and I, before we were even married in our early 20s. And she was super sick. Three years old, a rescue. And we didn't know that she was sick at all until we had her a couple months and blood tests started coming back abnormal. She has Cushing's disease. She has this. She has that. She has bleeding ulcer. And it was over a period of eight years that we got to have her in our lives. But it was tens of thousands of dollars on medications and the story. And then finally, I was sitting in the kitchen on the kitchen floor and my son, who was two at the time, was playing in the living room and Sweetie crawled into my lap. And her bladder had been failing. Everything had been failing at night. And she was just shutting down. And she crawled into my lap. And she just howled in pain Mm -hmm. and agony. And I could just feel it washing over me. And I said, no more, baby girl. No more. And I told my husband, we got to do this tomorrow. We can't wait any longer. And he was really reluctant to let her go. But I said, we have to. We need to do this for her. We need to do right by her. So we spent the night cuddling with her and loving on her. And the next day we brought her to be euthanized and sent her home. And the whole time in the car on the way back, it was just, I felt she was with us and it was just relief and joy and just utter bliss. And she was there that night in our room. And then in the morning she was gone. Like her energy was still there, just letting us know, thank Mm -hmm. you. And this is what it really feels like this piece, this, this feels, and I was racked with guilt for years after making her wait. What I thought was making her wait so long for Pete. And I just, I couldn't handle not knowing, could she ever forgive me? So I was in an energy medicine class that I was taking (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to pause that part here and go back to Dolly. Dolly was a dog because Dolly is the one who got me into the energy medicine class. Dolly was a dog who belonged to a friend of mine Mm -hmm. and he was getting her euthanized. So this was probably about four or five years after Sweetie had left us. And I was there with him just to go support him. And she was a great Pyrenees and she was up on the table. Big girl, they had her up Mm -hmm. on the table. And I was at the back of her head and I was just petting the back of her head and her neck and not having any idea. I was not a spiritual person at the time, Mm -hmm. religious person, nothing, just me. And I was just petting her. And the last thing I remembered seeing was the vet coming in with the needle. And after a few minutes, he did the other needle. And all of a sudden this... I closed my eyes and I felt like I was going to pass out, but I was still standing in this ball of yellow light that I saw, even though my eyes were closed, started down by my knees and just moved up through my body and out the top of my head. And I just remember this feeling of freedom and expansion and joy and bliss. And I just remember going, holy crap, how does something (laughs) that huge fit in a body that small? (laughs) And I wasn't exactly sure what had happened, but I sat down afterward and I was freezing cold and I had to get wrapped up in a bunch of blankets Mm. and I couldn't really walk. So I had to get carried out to his truck. Wow. It was just insane. I slept for three hours that day. I didn't even want to eat. And what started happening afterward was I understood my greatest fear in life, by the way, up to that point was death rising fear. Like when I would go to sleep at night as a kid, I would cry in bed and call for my mom because I was so, and sometimes even as an adult, I would freak out about it. And so it was a horrible 
phobia. After that experience, it vanished completely 100% in that moment. I didn't fear death anymore because she had shown me the journey of that part of her soul that inhabited her body, leaving it and going home. Wow. And after that, I had been broken open and all of the light that was ready to come forth started to, and I started meeting people who did things like Reiki and all that. And I <laughs> said, no, okay, Reiki, hmm, what else is there? Oh, healing touch. Okay. There's this healing touch modality. That's energy medicine. I like that. I was in that class and then I ended up in a healing touch for animals class. Oh, I really love this. And while I was in that class, that's when I met my friend Karn, who was an animal communicator. And she was telling us stories at lunch about communicating with animals. And I said, can you communicate with animals who have crossed over? And she said, absolutely. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> How do I do this? I, I can do this. Something inside me just jumped up and said, do this. You can do this. And so I took the animal certification program or the communicator certification program with her instructor. And in class, one of the first things we did was talk with Sweetie. I said, can I ever be forgiven? Mm -hmm. And she said, there is nothing to forgive. That's such, of course, that's who they are. And she said, you did the best you could at the time. And that just set me free from those years of guilt that I had been piling onto myself. And I knew in that moment that I had to share this with everybody and anybody I possibly could because I never wanted them to go through what I had gone. So thank you, sweetie. And thank you, Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful. And so now how long have you been doing this work of communicating with animals? Um, nine years. It was in 2014. And so what do you say to skeptics or non-believers when you come across them, if anything at all? Oh, of course. That everybody's truth is true for them. We right. live in a multidimensional universe and multiverses and all truths are true. So I'm never going to tell someone that what I think or believe is true because I don't want anyone doing that to me. Freedom right. is my middle name. They may need to have an experience. That's what happened with me in a lot yeah. of times. That's what happens. We need to have our own personal experience at the time that it's right for us. And if we don't have any kinds of those experiences, then that's just not our path. So, you know, for me, I just say live and let live. Just because someone doesn't believe in what I do doesn't make it any less real for me. Beautiful. And do you come across a lot of non-believers? Honestly, not lately, but maybe it's because of the people I've chosen to surround myself with. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I love it. I'm sure you encounter people, though, that are just in shock or somewhat disbelief. When you and I met, I was like, yes, I knew that this stuff existed, but holy fuck, it's mind-blowing <laughs> that we can communicate with animals. It is. It absolutely is. And the thing is, it shouldn't be so mind-blowing because it's our birthright. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that this is something that is a burning question on a lot of people's minds listening to the episode. Is it possible for or does everyone have the ability to be able to communicate with animals or can anyone learn this skill set and become an animal communicator? We don't even have to learn it. When I teach it, I teach that we are restoring our ability that we forgot we had. It's never left us. We just forgot about it. There's a lot that we forgot when we were born into this lifetime, and that's one of our abilities. Everybody, every single person on the planet can do this. That is incredible. I love that. I know through multiple conversations with you that you teach this and you do offer courses around this. So can you share what some of your offers are, how it all works? Can you give us a brief rundown? 
Yeah. So the course I'm teaching right now is for beginners, people who are either new to the concept or don't have a whole lot of experience, you know, practicing it. And it's my intuitive animal communication essentials course. And it's six weeks. We do it on Zoom. It's live. I don't do any of that recorded stuff right now. I record the sessions. Yeah. Each class is recorded, but I teach them live. Okay. And I lay out step-by-step procedures for people to connect with the animals in their life to reduce their physical, emotional, and mental issues. So it's for animal lovers who are ready to restore that innate ability to connect telepathically. This all works through telepathy to restore that telepathic bond between them and the animals in their lives and all the animals around them. So we go through six weeks and in the first week I teach fundamentals, you know, what Mm -hmm. the communication piece is, what it isn't, and practical uses for it and how to quiet that mind without all those thoughts running around. And then the second week, we cover the ethics of it, how to gather the preliminary information that you need when working with an animal who's not yours, Mm -hmm. if it's a domestic animal, and that protocol for tuning into an animal because it is actually a protocol. And I have a cheat sheet you can print out, put on your fridge. I give that as a supporting document. I'm all about the supporting documents. Don't forget (laughs) I'm a teacher, so I know it. (laughs) And that's how I like to learn too. And then in week three, we discover your unique ways of sending and receiving information. And I have this beautiful guided journey, the garden of the five senses, I call it. And I get to flex my hypnotherapy muscles there. (laughs) I get to do that and walk them through this beautiful journey where they get to tap into other ways they can receive information. And then we actually connect with an animal for the first time. And my own dog, Manitou, has been our teacher. She's been our AT. She's not the TA. She's the AT, the animal teacher. (laughs) She's been helping with that, and it's been fabulous. So in week four, we're actually putting it into practical use. This is what Mm -hmm. we'll do for the rest of the time. We connect with lost animals. And even if our animals aren't lost, what we do is, which they're not, but we know how to connect with them should they become lost. And one of the things that we do is create a reunion plan where okay. if our animal gets separated from us, we create a plan with them for a place that they can meet with us or a plan of action, like you would with your family if there was a fire, you know the thing. And then in the fifth week, we cover anxiety and behavior issues, the common things that can cause anxiety and behavior issues and how to deal with that compassionately to get everybody's perspective and be diplomatic and supportive of everybody in the situation. Because animals' behavior always makes sense to them. It may not make sense to us, but it will always make sense to them. And so we will understand that before we can ask for change. It may not occur. They have choice, but we can still ask for that change. And then in week six, we work on uncovering an animal's history. Maybe if you weren't the first home that they had, or if you work in a shelter, it's very useful. I used to work at the Humane Society, so it was very useful for understanding when an animal came in. And then after that, if anybody wants to work with me one-on-one, I offer them mentoring packages where we can just work together for three, six months, whatever. Okay. So that's basically the start of it all. Is There's no like level two. I guess the next step after that introductory course is to work with you one-on-one. That's the next mm-hmm. step. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'm working on another course. It hasn't come into complete 
form yet, mm -hmm. but I think it's going to have something to do with wildlife, like branching out of the home and okay. working with the wildlife and also the more than human beings okay. in our world, which are the plants and the trees and things like that. And yes, that is possible because they have consciousness too. And Very so once cool. we can step into the world of animal communication, we can even cross that boundary and go into interspecies communication where we learn to communicate with the world around us and that can be utilized for land management pur purposes, resource management, rehabilitation, things mm -hmm. like that. Very cool. Are there a lot of people out there now who have and practice this skill set of communicating with animals? And also, are there a lot of people out there who teach this to your knowledge? I, like, is it common? For me, in the world that I swim in, it's more common than originally, I thought, five years ago. Okay. It seems that people are doing either a version of this with their own animals or if they're walking out in nature and connecting with nature more, they're like, oh, the other day a bird landed on a branch and then I heard this in my head and I'm going, hmm, interesting. So they're experiencing it even if they're not doing it professionally. But I think that we're this small, medium tight-knit community where everybody knows everybody else. When I post something on Facebook and I say, hey, I'm doing something with this person, <laughs> someone else will chime in, oh, I love them. That's great. That's so wonderful. And so we all know each other. It's right. very sweet. And a lot of us are starting to teach now because we're feeling safe. We feel safe to come out to the world and not have to hide who we are and feel like a freak. And yeah. so we're saying not only am I feeling secure enough to be able to share this with the world, because it is our innate ability, but I feel that it is now time and it's my duty to play. I call it playing tag with everybody. Tag, you're it. Oh, you're awake. <laughs> tag, you're it. Oh, you're awake now. And just to do that, wake everybody up. So we can still then communicate with animals who have crossed over the Rainbow Bridge. And is that something that you offer in your offerings to your clients and how common is that part of it as opposed to communicating with, say, an animal who's not feeling well or just wanting to communicate with their pets? Okay, so I get a lot of people wanting to work with me who want to know, is it my animal's time or with an animal who already crossed over? It's my specialty. The term is a death doula. And I okay. have no experience with humans crossing over, having crossed over, yes, because mediumship is something else that I have just in my tool bag that right. I carry with me. It just came with me, came with the package. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's similar with animals. And the thing about animal communication with animals who have crossed over and animals who are still here is it's the same. They're different okay. than humans. They're not so attached to their physical body that it's different. So yeah. this is still the same. Definitely a lot of people will come to me with those questions because oftentimes when we're desperate, for anything, we'll delve into the things that maybe we wouldn't have before. Is it common, though, for people to come with you where their animals aren't sick or they haven't crossed over and they just want to communicate with them? Is that a common yes. occurrence? Usually okay. that's it's around behavior. Occasionally okay. I'll have people who will say, oh, I just want to check in and see how my animal's doing. But usually there's an impetus behind that. There's a behavior issue. So if it's not like a health issue, there's a behavior issue going on. So you can help them shift their animal's behavior if, it's, if they're misbehaving or what's perceived as misbehaving. We have to tread carefully in the languaging here because okay. it's not my job to help the animal change their behavior. It's my job to be the negotiator okay. and the diplomat and to help both sides understand what each other needs so okay. that the animal understands what the human needs. And this is what I teach in my course. And then... 
the human needs to understand what the animal needs from them if there is anything for that behavior to change. And it's up to the animal to do it. They have free will. And just like people, they can mean when want to change, but maybe it doesn't happen. (laughs) Or it doesn't, then they slip. So it's on both sides to support what the other needs. You're the mediator. Exactly. Yes. We have a lot of roles. That's something else we teach. Yep. Facilitator, mediator, diplomat. (laughs) I love it. Translator. Yep. (laughs) All of the things. All the things. Dawn, what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work you do with animals and their pet owners? Oh, my goodness. That change when there is a transition or a transformation, and I use that word a lot, (laughs) the transformation that occurs either with the animal, if there's a change in their behavior, or with the person, if there's a change in their relationship to their animal. I had a client who was she was leasing a horse and he was the feared horse in the barn and he was being a jerk when he didn't want to come back in. So nobody wanted to take him out. And he didn't want his ears touched and all these things. So she asked me, could you please speak with him? Because I know he's not a bad horse. Nobody is bad anything. So I did talk with him. And I can't say talk, but we connected. I use that term so very loosely. But I had to understand his perspective and where he had come from. And he had been wounded for a year and was healing and was in a very enclosed small area while he was healing and he felt like he lost a year of his life so he didn't want to come back in from being outside right he didn't want to be caught after so when she understood this she knew how to deal with it and after a few weeks he became the barn favorite she keeps me in touch and sends pictures now he's jumping she's show jumping him and he came in champion and reserve champion in his first show with her incredible and they're just such a team and she's like all i have to do is sit on the saddle and not mess up his rhythm he's got it he does he's like just sit there and i know what i'm doing so to see that change happen i cry i get those texts i get the videos and i sit there and i cry because this is possible this kind of change is possible and it's so beautiful to see that is beautiful and so powerful just yeah. incredible Yes, you help. The biggest piece is helping the owners deal with whatever it is that's going on, whether it be difficult behavior or dealing with the loss of a pet or dealing with the illness of a pet. That's got to feel incredible for you. I can't even tell you. I had one person, she has five rescue cats and she's worked with me with four of them. And her first one was a two-year-old kitten. Mm -hmm. He was at the end of his life. And she was like, I don't know if I can do this. He's only two. And she had just lost her husband five months before. And so she said, but he's leaving me, isn't he? Very intuitive woman. And I tuned into the cat and we had a long conversation and his journey was over because his journey was the husband to help him have his journey of a peaceful death. And so she said, had I not spoken with you? My husband dying and my favorite cat within a couple months of each other. She's that would have wrecked me. Izzy was his name. She said I could put Izzy down knowing that's what he needed and wanted. And she said he was perfect right up until he took his last breath and that she left there feeling relieved and that she had given him a gift. Incredible. So that's got to be probably one of the best parts of the work you do. It is. It is. It, it's, those two stories are my most memorable experiences of working with people and their animals. Now, on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging pieces of the work that you do? Working with lost animals is really tough. 
So I don't do a whole lot of that. I had a client a few years back and she became a little unhinged when we couldn't find her cat. And I get now what I was getting, but back then I wasn't quite sure. He didn't want to be found. He left her on purpose because she was driving him insane. She was (laughs) suffocating him. And he was like, girl, either you got to go or I got to go. One of us has got to go. That's so funny. It was, it is funny, but the thing is, she would call me, she would text me every day. And she's, can you try this? Can you try that? Can you do this? Can you do that? Did you try this? Did you try that? Is he here? Is he there? Is he here? Is he there? And I was just like, oh my God, I can't You saw what the cat was dealing with. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I was like, what? And I was like, no wonder. I'm like, geez, Louise. And he actually stopped talking to me because he didn't want her to keep bugging me. And I, so I just told her, I said, I'm sorry. He's got the connection. I can't connect with him anymore. And that was just being truthful. And then, of course, unfortunately, what did she do? Oh, my God, did he die? <laughs> oh, no, it's not how it works. <laughs> if he cuts the connection, doesn't mean he's dead. But... So after dealing with that, I was like, I can't do anything for you anymore. I'm so sorry, but this is beyond my scope. I think you need some other kind of help. I didn't say that, but you know, I was like, I can't help you anymore. I'm so sorry. That is so funny. Oh God. But it was exhausting though. I'm sure. It's just, okay, you don't get a month of my time, lady. I do have other things I need to do. It's not rude. I enjoyed working with her, but for the time that we were meant to work together. Yeah. So I, after that, I had a sour taste in my mouth about lost animals. (laughs) I have no problem teaching it, but I'm not sure how many more I'll take on. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) What would you say that is probably is one of the most beautiful or memorable client stories for you? Yeah. Izzy, the two-year-old. Because he was from a feral cat community where there were 35 cats there. This is up in Canada and uh, your territory. And he was living there and they, this woman, her name's Jan, she rescued, she and her friend rescued five cats from that community. And then the, the community didn't make it because the authorities came in and took care of that, which is so terrible, but he was rescued and he was a kitten and he was there with her for about a year, maybe a little more. And then Jan's husband had cancer and was passing away. And Izzy was his constant companion. And he was there to help her husband have a peaceful death and to be able to accept death. And it was very difficult for him. That was his only. And Izzy was his sole mate to do that for him and with him. To know that Jan had lost her husband and then Izzy was like, I have to stick around long enough to make sure that Jan's okay and then I need to leave. Broke my heart for her because he was her favorite cat. He was like a human, which he had been most recently. So in previous lives, which yes, they can have past lives just like us, newsflash guys. So (laughs) uh, to have her tell me losing my favorite cat a month or two after my husband passed, I don't know what I would have done. Had I not known it was the right thing to do and had I known that was his path and his journey and that I'm going to see them again. They're they're on the other side. They're working together. They're supporting me already. So we've checked in on that. And for her to just say, this is something that nobody should ever have to do, put a two-year-old kitten down. But when their health is failing and everything, they need to understand that the big message there from Izzy was it's about quality not quality. No matter how long you get, it's never enough anyway. I'm curious, like mediumship, sometimes spirits contact people. 
So is it the same kind of thing with animals where animals come to you or is it the reverse of that where you have to initiate, the human has to initiate contact? It really just depends. Okay. I'm driving down the road and I, every time I see a squished animal, even if I can't identify who they were, I just say, I'm so sorry. And I'll usually get, you know, oh, it's fine. It's okay. It's all good because they're so laissez-faire about their body. (laughs) You know, with that, it's, you know, they just come to you. When I was working at the Humane Society and we got a call about a lost dog, the dog came to me to tell me that she had passed. And so I actually had to go sit in the break room for about 10 minutes and receive all the information she was giving me of where her body was, which they don't always know where it is, but she did and what had happened to her. So I didn't connect with her necessarily, but through her people's energy, she connected with me. So they will just come to me. But if someone asks me and they contact me for a session, this is my animal. Could you connect with them? Then it's, oh, of course. And then usually as soon as I have any information about the animal, once their person's energy connects me to them, then I'll usually immediately start getting information flooding in and I have to go, hold, please. (laughs) It's not time to talk right now. I'm very curious if you've had conversations with any or many vets at all about the work that you do? And if so, what has been their thoughts or their reactions or reflections to the work you do? Yeah. So I actually have a friend who is a holistic veterinarian and she uses animal communication in her practice. Okay. So that's super cool. And when I was living in Colorado Springs, soon after I had become an animal communicator, I got in touch with a holistic veterinarian practice in Colorado Springs itself. And I was going to go there and volunteer to just help out a couple hours a week and just see what I could get from the animals, what they needed to be supported. And they were completely open to it. So I think it just depends on the veterinarians, just who they are, they believe in. It's not about the training or anything because they don't necessarily train for this unless it's the kind of holistic But even in holistic medicine, some things aren't accepted and others are. So it just Mm -hmm. really depends on who they are. But I'm telling you, it is becoming much more widespread. I spoke with a vet tech who happens to be a friend of mine from high school, and she was going to be taking my course. And she said, I am so ecstatic because I can use this. And she's not a spiritual person that I thought, but she's, I absolutely am. I just don't show it to the world. But as a vet tech, she's been doing this for 23 years. And she said, this would make my job so much easier to be able to help the animal to relax so that we can get the procedures done, get the x-rays done, whatever we need to get done without having to squeak a toy at them and try to get them to be distracted. We can actually calm them down, get their perspective, understand what they need. And especially when it's the people are wondering, is it their time? And to get the animal's perspective on it when it's time and how to relay that to their people. I could talk about this all day. I love it. It's so intriguing and interesting to me. But there is more to you than just your animal communicating. <laughs> Let's. I'd love to speak a little bit about your works as an author. As I mentioned, you're a four-time international bestselling author. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the books you have written or contributed to as an author? Yeah. So my first book came about as the result of a breakup. <laughs> okay which is really funny. I'm a person who will channel heartbreak into creativity. So it's my healthy outlet. Some people go take a bat to the car. I create something. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I was working at Wild Horse Adventure Tours up in Corolla, North Carolina, which is in the Outer Banks. And for those of you who don't know, it's basically a sandbar that sits in front of the coast of North Carolina. Fortunately, it's rapidly eroding right now. So the horses there live on the beach and they eat sea oats and that's it. That's their life. People kept asking. I worked as a person who took reservations in the office, and people would come in all the time. Our guests would ask, where did the horses come from? And the, nobody really knew because when I was interviewing, I said, where did they come from? Nobody knows. They just, they said, well, their DNA is, has Spanish Mustang in it, so they must have jumped or fallen off of Spanish galleons way back in the day and then swam okay. to shore. But nobody really knows. I was going through this breakup, and I was going, nobody's asking about this. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to find out. Like, what's the real deal? And so I channeled their message in animals who are in a herd. You will often speak to what's called an oversoul. And okay. so their oversoul was Jocko. And he spoke with me and he gave me their history and where they came from. And I put it into a children's book so that children could understand not even just where the horses came from, but their role as our future leaders for a sustainable future. And that was my first book was The Star Horses of Kerala. Very cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so how about the others? Let's hear a little bit about the others. Yeah. So that was the only one that I really created that way. So okay. keeping with the kid theme, I created a coloring book that just had pictures either from the book or that were inspired by the book for kids to color because I want, okay, the Star Horses of Kerala, that's probably good for maybe somebody in third grade to read to themselves or parents to read to their kids. What about their younger siblings or younger kids? Well, they can have the pictures to color. They don't have to read the words yet. So I created that coloring book for them a year later in 2020. And then in 2021, for say middle school kids who want to continue that journey or even adults, uh, I have a friend who bought it and she uses it every day. I created a 52-week guided journal where every week there's a prompt that the Star Horses gave me to have people reflect on and write about okay. for self-growth and to practice self-care and self-love. Because that's what they're here to support us in doing, is to realize our full potentials and to really tap into our inner fire of who we are. And I have that journal. And then in 2022, I paired up with, you're going to be interviewing her, Regina Curtis. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Yes. And I just got finished with her workshop this morning before I came on here. And so she's a soul wisdom mentor and also an intuitive artist. And we've worked together before. And I said, Regina, she's like <laughs> my business soulmate. I said, I have this great idea. Why don't we create a coloring book for adults? We got the ones for the kids. How about for adults? I'm yeah. not an artist, but what would you think that would look like? Because we've worked together before where I channeled a message and she created artwork from that. Very cool. Yeah, we're just a great team like that. So she said, cool. And it was a year in the making. But we took these what we call contemplations from the star horses. And I channeled the contemplation and she channeled the art, the mandala for it. And so that's our newest publication that, you know, I collaborate awesome. with. And we call that our mandala meditation <laughs> coloring book. So those are the four that I have created either by myself or mostly by myself. And then in 2021, the wonderful lady, Hollis Citron, who connected <laughs> you and I, yes, her publishing company was coming out with a multi-author book called Creativity Is Whatever You Want It To Be. 
and I was invited to contribute to that book. And so my section is called Creativity is the Language of the Soul. And it basically talks about whatever we put out into the world is our creative endeavor, is that our soul expressing itself in that way. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank and that's you for sharing book. that. Yeah, that's the book. I have to give Hollis a shout out. And that's the book that made me an international best-selling author because it went number one in a number of categories on Amazon. Beautiful. Congratulations, Don. So has writing always been something that you've had a passion for and been part of your life? Or is this a fairly new path? Oh, yeah. I pretty much came out of my mom's womb (laughs) with a pencil (laughs) in my hand. In third grade, I was reading far above that level of third grade. I was writing short stories, staying up till one o'clock at night. I don't know what my mom thought I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) In middle school, I was doing that. And so I went to college to become an English major with a concentration in writing. And then as a teacher, I had this dream when I was getting my master's of teaching and we were taking children's lit, I had this dream of parents sitting with their kids in their laps, reading my book. I'm like, this is going to be a thing. I can do this. I know I can. And so I just had to wait for the time. There you go. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped to become successful, Don? My ability to integrate the spiritual with the material world. And so speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? If you're happy and you love what you do, it doesn't matter what it is. That's success. You're being successful. It's not about the money. It's not about the material things. It's about are you aligned with your soul's purpose? What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? That I don't have to please everybody or be accepted by everyone. I spent my life raised by a people pleaser. And so I was a people pleaser and that it's okay to be me. Even if that doesn't please everybody, that's okay. And before- It can't please everyone. No, you can't please everybody all the time. So why the hell even try? (laughs) Come on, get real. That's, That's an uphill battle. You'll never win. Yeah, and exactly. So before I was lonely and there's nobody like me in the world and I'm sad and I was afraid to speak and say what I really had these urgings because I'm very intuitive. I was afraid to speak this and it got bottled up. And I think that's why this is just coming into me now. I think that's why I did a lot of writing. I just wrote short stories, poems, things like that. I think that was my outlet so that my head just wouldn't go poof. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. And after it, I learned that it's okay to be unapologetically me. And now I live my life. I don't have balls, tits to the wall. Hey, I do it all and loud, like living loud. You just gotta. Tits to the wall. I love it. No, I love it. That's awesome. That's being authentically you, who you are in the moment. So I love it. Free the boob. And just freedom is my middle name. I need to be free. And that was just so constricting before. Yeah. Yeah. What does the word empowerment mean to you, Dawn? It's knowing what you want or need and having the freedom and the tools to achieve it. So you have the ability and the opportunity to achieve what you need. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions, just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. How would you describe yourself in one word? Driven. What is your favorite self-care practice? Music. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? How to love themselves unconditionally. I love that. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Freedom. 
What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My resilience. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly <laughs> scheduled program. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I can create music even though I don't play an instrument or sing. Care to elaborate? What? <laughs> My boyfriend's a musician and he plays the guitar. He used to perform and sing before he had a traumatic brain injury. And I've been trying to help him get back into that space in a way that is good for him, that's accessible now. And I found this band lab app software and you don't even have to play an instrument. You can just insert these loops and sounds and all these cool things. And I made a song already and I was Very like, cool. ah! <laughs> <laughs> so now I have that to play in. <laughs> awesome. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Definitely my tenacity and my ability to adapt to changing situations quickly. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Dolly, because without that awakening of her soul leaving her body and understanding that journey, I wouldn't be where I am today in many ways. Do you still communicate with her? Oh, I do. Yes, she's yeah. one of my guides. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Don't try to do what everybody else does. Do you? Because nobody can ever, yeah, nobody can ever do what you do and be who you are. Even if you offer something that everybody else does, if it's a business thing, or even if you think there's nothing special about you, whatever you do carries your signature, your energetic signature. And that's something nobody else has. Beautiful. I love that. What is your why, Dawn? That... I'm driven to guide people to connect with their authentic selves and to trust the power that they hold within themselves. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Can it be someone who's passed? Yep. Okay. Emily Dickinson. Okay. I, I was an English nerd, but I've always loved her poetry. It's always spoken to me, although I didn't always understand it. It just always really spoke to me. And I had an experience when we visited her house when I was in college and I didn't want to leave it. I just wanted yeah. to sit in her bedroom and I was just, I want to know why Emily was I so drawn there? And also what the heck does happy poetry mean? Let's start. <laughs> <laughs> Explain it to me, please. I love it, but I don't understand it all. <laughs> if you could go back, Dawn, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Have boundaries. Don't even just have better boundaries, have freaking boundaries and don't settle for less than what you bring to the table from anyone. That's powerful. Lastly, Don, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Know yourself because the greatest gift you can give to the world is to know who you are and what makes you tick so that you can be the highest version of yourself. That is beautiful. Dawn, thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing about all of the beautiful light you put out into the world through all the work you do and your gifts that you have. It has been an absolute pleasure, as it always is whenever we talk, Dawn. I appreciate you so very much, and I'm truly grateful to Hollis for our connection. I'm grateful to you for our connection and our friendship. You're a beautiful soul. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world, and Thank you for all that you do and all that you are. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Brad. I appreciate you so much, too. And please keep doing what you do. Yay! <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dawn Phoenix. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, a hypnotherapist, and an animal communicator. Thanks so much, Dawn. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.